Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Grace is greater. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, grace is greater. Grace is powerful enough to erase your guilt. Grace is big enough to cover your shame. Grace is real enough to heal your relationships. Grace is strong enough to hold you up when you're weak. Grace is sweet enough to cure your bitterness. Grace is satisfying enough to deal with your disappointment. Grace is beautiful enough to redeem your brokenness. Grace is always greater, no matter what. I love that truth, that God's grace is greater no matter what. It's so good to see all of you here today. Again, I'm Tony Wallace. I'm one of the pastors here at Silverdale. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm so thankful that God has you here. This is what I'd love to do. I'd love for you to take your Bibles and open up to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And then also do this. You can take out your Bible study outlines. They're found right here in the center of the bulletin, and you can follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. As you know, we're in a series called Grace is Greater. And we're looking at the equation, the greater than sign, because we discover that God's grace is greater no matter what. And each week we've looked at a different aspect of God's grace. We first started with the reality that God's grace is greater than what? Our sin. And you know what? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, he covers all of our sin. God's grace is greater than your sin. And then we saw that God's grace is greater than your brokenness. And we get beat down with the rocks of life, and we discover that, you know what? God's grace is greater. If we come to God with our brokenness, we discover that God's grace is greater than that. And then last week, we discovered that God's grace is greater than our hurts, our wounds. That you do not have to live in the pain of the past, no matter what somebody's done to you. If you'll bring that hurt to Christ, you'll discover the grace of God. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this simple reality that God's grace is greater than your weakness. God's grace is greater than your weakness. The very thing you try to hide or deny, if you'll take it to the Lord, you'll discover the grace of God even in that area of weakness. You see, it's hard for us to do that. Do you know why? Because we live in a culture of success. We glorify those that are powerful. We magnify those that are beautiful. We lift up and make heroes, people that are strong and successful. And we go, look at them. Oh, my goodness. In fact, Paul's writing to a church that lives in a city like that. The city of Corinth was really one of the destination cities in the Roman Empire. It was rich and powerful. It was sort of like, you know, the, the... New York City or the, you know, the Las Vegas of his day. It was a luxurious lifestyle, incredible architecture. In fact, have you ever heard of the Corinthian style that's talking about Corinth? In fact, it was known. It was like a Las Vegas kind of town. It was a place where you had pleasures and exotic living. And and everybody, they glorified strength back then. And Paul's writing to these guys that glorify strength and power and success. Now, something happened between Paul's writing of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. A group of religious leaders came into the church. 
And they begin to magnify themselves and go, ooh, look at us. We got this amazing resume, and we're so spiritually qualified. Don't listen to Paul. You need to listen to us. And the church of Corinth was taken back by, oh, my goodness, they got really spiritual you know, successes. Maybe we ought to follow them instead of Paul. And so Paul was sort of in this, you know, rock in a hard place. He's like, on the one hand, he's like, you know, I got a pretty impressive resume too, right? But I do not want to glorify my strength. I want to glorify my weaknesses. You see, that's where we are as a society. And that's the challenge that we have today. Because our society says, hey, glorify your strengths. Don't don't glorify your weakness, no. But I want you to see this overriding principle from today's text. I want you to jot it at the top of your outline, and it's this. Don't delight in your strength, but in your weaknesses. For it's in weakness where you experience God's grace and power. Let me say that again. Don't delight in your strength. That's what our world does. No, you delight in your weakness. For it's in your weakness, that's where you're going to experience God's grace and God's power. And so Paul says, hey, you know what? They got an impressive resume. I have a pretty impressive resume too, right? But you know what? If I start sharing it with you, I'm going to be acting like a fool. In fact, a really hilarious passage. Look at it. It's found in First, I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21. Paul says this. Whatever other people dare to brag about, I, like a fool, <laughs> could also brag about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they Christ's servants? I'm insane to say it, but I am far better one. <laughs> I've done much more, right? Paul's like, hey, y- you want a resume? I can give you a resume. I was trained by the top religious leaders in Jerusalem. In fact, I've been trained by Jesus Christ himself. I've had visions. I've been taken up to the third heaven. I've seen things that no other man has ever seen. I've got amazing credentials. That's what Paul's saying. In fact, we, we look back and we look in the first century and go, yeah. Other than Jesus Christ himself, the Apostle Paul is the most influential Christian that's ever lived, right? And so Paul says, no, I do not want to brag about my strengths and my resume and all my victories. What I want to do is I want to brag on my weaknesses because that's where you really see the power of God. In fact, look at it. It's an amazing passage. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Notice what God's word says. Therefore... So that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected where? In weakness. Here's Paul's conclusion. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses. For when I'm weak, that's whenever I'm strong. Here Paul says, you know what? I used to plead with the Lord three times. God, please take this weakness away from me. But the Lord's given me a promise. And what is it? My grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul says, okay, I'm going to celebrate my weaknesses. Well, it's the same way with you. The very thing that you hide or deny or run from, if you'll take that weakness to the Lord, you know what God's going to promise you? That his grace will be sufficient for you as well. And so today we're going to discover that God's grace is greater than your weakness no matter what. And so I want you to jot down several principles from today's text of how God's grace is greater. Ready? Jot this down. Number one is this. God's grace is greater than my infirmities. 
God's grace is greater than my infirmities, my frailties, my physical illnesses, my disabilities. Look again how Paul puts this. Verse 7, he says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Now, many times when we think of a thorn, we think of a rose bush thorn and go, what's a little bitty thorn? No, this word here that Paul uses could be translated stake or spike. I mean, this was a debilitating thing that he had. And you go, well, where was it? Well, it was a thorn in the flesh. And so this was a debilitating physical issue that the Apostle Paul had. Now, a lot of scholars through the years have debated, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Some will speculate and go, well, it it may have been, you know, some physical deformity. Because think about it. Paul was stoned so much. He was beaten so badly in in times past that, you know, it, it probably left some deformity in his life. Others have speculated that, you know what, it was maybe just Paul's appearance. He didn't look very attractive, you know. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul rebukes the church for just looking at people from the outward appearance. Apparently, Paul wasn't that pretty, right? But most scholars will think that, you know, Paul's thorn in the flesh most likely was his eye disease that he had. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes the church of Galatia these words. Look at it. Galatians 4.15, Paul says this. I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. That's why Paul, when he wrote his letters, he always dictated them. Somebody else was writing them down because he had a hard time writing. He was virtually blind. But also, this was painful. Imagine you having something in your eye, this little irritant, except it's like a thorn. It's an excruciating, painful thing that Paul's dealing with 24 hours a day. And so, we're not completely sure exactly what Paul's referring to here, but the fact is, is that Paul had some physical, you know, ailment that he had, some infirmity. And, but he discovered something. Despite this, God's grace was enough. Pastor Joseph Stoll tells of whenever he went to Moody Church in Chicago, that whenever he first went there, the very first Sunday, his son came from Sunday school and goes, Dad, I got the best teacher. She's just amazing. And so um, Pastor Joe, you know, was thinking, well, this is probably some young, vivacious, you know, college grad that's teaching my son. And so we made it a point that the very next day, I mean, next Sunday, he was going to go there and meet his son's Sunday school teacher. So he goes there expecting this young lady, and who does he see? He sees this elderly woman, a widow, who had osteoporosis, and she was literally bent over in half. He was taken back. Over the next few months, he began to get to know her a little better and asked her about her osteoporosis and how it affects her and how she deals with it. And this is what she said, quote, Pastor Joe, I'm so glad that God allowed me to have this disease. It causes me to be bent all the way over. You see, that way, my face can be right down where the children are. I love them so much. If it wasn't for this, I couldn't relate to them so well. You see what this woman had? She experienced in her weakness the grace of God. She experienced her thorn became a place of triumph. Her place of misery became a tool of ministry. Why? Because she took that weakness to God and she experienced the grace of God. And so can you. God's grace is greater than your infirmity. There's a second thing we learn from this text, and it's this. Jot this down. God's grace is greater than my inabilities. God's grace is greater than my inabilities. Twice in this passage, it talks about weaknesses, right? Check it out. Look at it again. Verse 9. But Jesus said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected when? In weakness. Paul's conclusion, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, plural, more than one, so that Christ's power may reside in me. I mean, when we think of weaknesses, we think of, you know, some inability, some, some lack of talent, right? I mean, think of it. Whenever you go on a job interview, typically... They'll ask you, hey, share with us your strengths, share with us your weaknesses. And that second question, sharing your weaknesses, it's always hard, isn't it? Because you're like, man, I can't really share my weaknesses with these people. They won't hire me if they really know who I am. I can't do that, right? And so what do we do? We take a strength and we just sort of magnify it like it's a weakness. Well, you see, I'm sort of task-oriented. And you know, I am, it's a real weakness that I have that whenever I see a task, I just, I just, I just got to go get it done. You know, golly, I just, I'm really working on that weakness, you know, or, or you know what, I, I, I'm just sort of, you know, I'm a workaholic, you know, I'm just sort of out of balance in that way. And golly, I'm just a workaholic. I'm really striving to be better at that. That's the weaknesses I have. And so what do we do? We take strengths and we magnify them and we call them weaknesses. There was a book that came out, a business book several years back called Strength Finders. And what you do is at the end of the book, they actually take you to a website where you can have a strength finder assessment. And what do you do? You, you share your strengths, your victories, how you interact with people, your personality. And then afterwards, it'll pop out, you know, your four or five top strengths. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But Paul's saying in this passage that, you know what? Maybe we need a weakness finder test. Because it's in the weaknesses... That God really magnifies. Whenever you come to an end of your ability, that's when God's ability begins to take over. Whenever you're suddenly totally dependent on God. And so Paul says we need to embrace our weaknesses. I love the way that the early Christians were described in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, you have the apostles standing before the Sanhedrin, the royal high court there in Jerusalem. And look at how they're described. I love this verse. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says this. The officials were amazed to see how brave Peter and John were. And they knew that these two apostles were only ordinary men and not well-educated. The officials were certain that these men had been with Jesus. You see that? I love that. They're just ordinary how in the world is God working through these guys? They're just ordinary. Well, that's what God does. God uses the ordinary and does the extraordinary. I mean, how is it that these guys, they're untrained men, they're uneducated men, and yet they're debating us with incredible wisdom? How is it? Because they're weak, and yet God shows his strength. That's always the way God works, folks. God does not need superstars to do his work. God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And so if you think you're too weak, you think that you're too inadequate to be used by God, you need to remember the people God used in the Bible, right? Abraham, he was too old. Moses stuttered. Gideon was afraid. Rahab had been a prostitute. David had committed adultery, Jonah had run from the Lord, Naomi was a widow, the Samaritan woman had been married and divorced multiple times, Job had gone bankrupt, Peter had denied the Lord, and John the Baptist ate bugs. And if God can use them, God can use you, right? Turn to the person next to you and say, God can use you. God can use you. In your weakness, he can be strong. 
God's grace is greater than your infirmity. God's grace is greater than, you know what, your inadequacy. He's more than adequate. There's a third thing that we discover from this text, and it's this. Jot this down. God's grace is greater than my insecurities. God's grace is greater than my insecurities. I've discovered this. That the more we come to God with our inadequacies and insecurities, that's where God steps in and uses us the most. But the problem is, is that we don't want to do that. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to let anybody know who we really are. Our culture basically says, no, never show weakness to anybody, right? That's what our culture says. And so we even come to church, and what do we do? We put on our plastic smile, we put on our mask, and people say, how are you? And you go, wonderful, praise Jesus, I'm just wonderful. I know you're wonderful too. We're all wonderful because we just, we're just wonderful here, right? right? That, that's what we say. And so we never share any struggles. And yet, if you read the Apostle Paul, the entire book of 2 Corinthians is him sharing his struggles. He talks about how he was just brought to the brink of nearly death in the very first chapter. And over and over again, he talks about this weakness and this struggle and this insecurity and this point of rejection. And so what does he do? Look what he says again, verse 9. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses. I'm going to boast about this. I'm not going to be insecure about it. I'm going to share my insecurities. Why? So that Christ's power may reside in me. Now, most of us, why don't we do that? Why don't we share our insecurities and our struggles? There's one word. You know what it is? Pride. Pride. No, no I, I can't share that. I mean, what, what, what keeps us from saying, man, I'm struggling right now? What, what keeps us from sharing, you know, I'm having a tough time? What, what keeps us sharing, you know what, I'm over my head. I am completely overwhelmed. You know what, I am not adequate. I, I, I hope somebody else can figure this out because right now I absolutely cannot figure this one out, right? What, what keeps us from that? I'll tell you, it's pride. What does God say about pride? Check it out, look at it. James chapter 4 verse 6 says this. God resists the what? Proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. You want God to stiff arm you? You think you're adequate. You you be self-sufficient. You handle things on your own. But you know what God says? You become vulnerable. You become inadequate. You you share your insecurities. And guess what I'll do? You'll see the power of God working through your life. I've discovered this as a pastor, even in my life, and how God uses or doesn't use me. I mean, I'm like any of us. You know what I want to do? I want to share myself in my best light how about this side right and so i'll share my victories and praise god there are victories but you know what i've discovered something through the years that whenever i share my vulnerabilities that's whenever god seems to work the most when i share about a marital struggle or a season of heartache and depression or some temptation that I'm struggling with, when I share and I just become real, it's crazy how people go, Pastor Tony, God really used that. Why? Because that's what God uses. God uses weakness so that he can step in. See, what happens is, is that our weaknesses, they create space for the grace of God. And as long as you're adequate with yourself, then guess what? You don't experience the grace of God. So how do you experience this? Well, I want us to jot down the very final principle is how do you experience grace and weakness? I mean, that's what God's promise. Look again what Jesus promised in verse 9. Jesus promised, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. 
Most of you have probably memorized that verse. God's grace is sufficient for me. God's grace is sufficient for me. I love one's translation. It's put like this. God's grace is more than enough. You know what? No matter what weakness you have, God's grace is more than enough. So how do you experience it? Two things. Jot it on your outline. Number one is first you've got to come to an end of your self-sufficiency. You've got to come to an end of your self-sufficiency. I believe the best thing that could ever happen to you one day is you fail. And whenever you fail, it forces you to go, oh my goodness, I can't do this thing on my own. I can't. I desperately need Christ. I, I, I can't handle this on my own. I, I've shared my testimony of how I came to faith. I, I mean, whenever I f- first came to faith, I've shared it before, I was an alcoholic. I mean, I couldn't go through a day without getting drunk. I couldn't do it. And then I come to faith in Christ. And it's miraculous what God did. I mean, God literally took that desire away from me. And praise God, I mean, I haven't had that desire anymore. Hallelujah. But can I tell you something? There have been other areas in my life that those desires didn't go away. There's been other temptations that I've gone, oh, Lord, I know you can do it. You took that away. Why don't you take this away? God, please take this temptation away. And it's like the Lord said to me, Tony, I can't. If I took care of all those issues immediately, you'd never trust me. You'd be totally self-sufficient. But you know, Tony, that if you are not totally clinging to me and dependent on me, you'll fail in this area. So this struggle forces you to turn to me. And I'm like, okay, God, I get it. I understand it. You, You see, sometimes the pressure is too intense. That's a good thing. That, that, that you can't handle it on your own. That's a good thing. You know, as kids, I remember in elementary school, we played this game called Mercy. Do anybody ever play that, right? And you put, grab each other's hands, and you squeeze, and you twist, and you squeeze, and you twi- twist until somebody goes, Mercy, or I quit, or I give up, please stop, right? You know, God will take the weaknesses of your life, and they'll squeeze you, and they'll twist you. Why? To hurt you? No, so that you'll say, God, I give up. God, I can't do this. God, i got to confess something. I'm not God. I can't do it. I'm not able. I'm not the savior of anything. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I can't do it on my own. God says, awesome. That's where I want you to be. Because I can't bless you. I can't use you. you. My grace isn't on you till you come to an end of your self-sufficiency. And then once you come to an end of your self-sufficiency, you better do the second thing immediately. Number two is this. Ask God to work through your weakness. Ask God to work through your weakness. That's what Paul did, and notice the promise that Jesus gave him. Paul said, verse 8, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul saying, please remove this. God said, no, I'm not going to remove it, but what I'm going to do is my presence is going to be with you. And because my presence is going to be with you, you're going to discover my grace in the midst of your weakness. I sort of illustrate it like this. Imagine that this coffee cup right here represents your area of weakness, okay? And it's empty. (laughs) It better be empty because you know why? God does not feel anything that is filled with you. But whenever you come to that place of emptiness, and this is your point of need, this is your area of weakness, you come to Jesus who's that living fount. He is the one with the fount of living water. And you say, Jesus, I can't do this. I need you. And guess what? He will fill you to overflowing. 
That's what the Bible promises. His grace will be more than enough. And some of you are like, you know what? I don't have just a, you know, a coffee cup full of need. Man, I got a bucket. I got a bucket of need. You know? And maybe you do. Maybe you're like, hey, you know, I am, uh, my marriage is dying. I'm losing my job. My kids have turned from the Lord. I, I don't know what to do. God, I got a bucket full here of need. And you know what? Whenever it's empty of you and you turn to Christ, I'm telling you, the fount of living blessing, Jesus Christ, the living water will fill you to overflowing, but you got to turn to him. Now, you may be, you know, Pastor Tony, I don't have a cup or I don't have a bucket. My need, it's like a tractor trailer. You know, I mean, it, it's a huge tanker and it's empty. And you know what? I, I've learned the cancer has been told it's terminal. The, the spouse has said, I'm done. And they're having an affair. Oh, God, I need grace. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how big. Jesus said, my grace is always enough. No matter what you have, Jesus says, my grace is always enough. It's always enough. And so come to Christ. Let me close with a story that Kyle Eidemann tells in his book, Grace is Greater. He tells of another pastor, Jean LaRue, who had gone to a ministry called Love in Action. It was a support group for individuals that were going through sexual addiction. And he went there the very first support group meeting, and, and this man stood up, and he began to share his testimony. And he said, um, this week, when I was driving home from work, I drove past an adult nightclub, and I wanted to go in. And a few um, hands went up. And then he continues the story. He says, I pulled into the parking lot, even though I knew I shouldn't have. And a few other hands went up. And then he says, then I went into that nightclub, and I'd spent the night there. And a few hands went up. And then um, after I left, I felt so ashamed. And I thought, there's absolutely no way God could ever love somebody like me. And every hand in the room went up. And after the meeting, um, Pastor Jean LaRue asked the director, he says, I don't understand it. When that guy was sharing his testimony, why were people asking all these questions? And why didn't anybody answer those questions? He goes, no, no, you don't understand. That in love and action... We've made this principle that no one will ever suffer alone. That if somebody is confessing something, if you've ever walked through a similar struggle, you lift your hand. And then that way, that person knows, you know what? You found grace, I can find grace too. Did you, did you know that that's the way our church ought to look? That the church ought to be a place of the raised hand? I can identify with that, right? It, it, the church should not be a place of the pointed finger, it ought to be the place of the raised hand. Why? Because we're all a mess. We're all sinners. We all come with our brokenness, every one of us. Over the last um, few weeks, I asked you to fill out a Grace is Greater Than card. We had over a 1,000 individuals that filled these out. And they said, you know what? In this area or that area, I discovered that God's grace is greater than this thing that I've dealt with. Today, I want to read just a few of them, representative. I don't have time to read all 1,000 of them. But I'm going to read a few representatives. And this is what I'm going to do. If I can relate to some of the things that were written in a card, I'm going to raise my hand and say, you know what? I can relate to that area. And maybe you would feel comfortable to do the same thing. I've struggled in that, and God's grace is great enough in that as well. 
And so let me just share a few. God's grace is greater. God's grace is greater than my anger and yelling at my kids. God's grace is greater than my selfishness or me. God's grace is greater than my addiction. God's grace is greater than my pride. God's grace is greater than my lust. God's grace is greater than my abortion. God's grace is greater than being bullied. God's grace is greater than the affair. God's grace is greater than the abuse. God's grace is greater than loneliness. God's grace is greater than the divorce. God's grace is greater than our struggle with infertility. God's grace is greater than the fear of dying from cancer. God's grace is greater than the suicide attempt. God's grace is greater than the pressures I feel at work. God's grace is greater than racism. God's grace is greater than the damage I've done to my marriage. God's grace is greater than a mother who disapproved of you. God's grace is greater than a father who didn't want you. God's grace is greater than my ugly past. God's grace is greater than my secret sin. God's grace is greater than my guilt. God's grace is greater than my brokenness. Can I just tell you, God's grace is greater no matter what. Yeah, we can praise the Lord together. I want you to visually see this. And so what I'm going to do is I have a can of red spray paint here. And this right here represents all of the areas in our life where we struggled. Every sin, every hurt, every sorrow, every pain, every brokenness, every area of weakness. This is what it represents. And the Bible says this, that we overcome Satan, how? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just declare some promises from God's word as I spray over these things. The Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says the law of the Spirit has now overcome the law of sin and death. The Bible says that though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God has made us alive in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation, but not only that, that on Christ Jesus all our sin was laid. And that because of that simple fact, he who knew no sin became sin for us. 
that we might become the righteousness of God. And I am convinced that neither death nor life nor things present or things to come or any created thing will be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. God's grace is greater no matter what. It's greater no matter what. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.